Welcome to Women in Trade, a podcast for up-and-coming professionals like you in the field of international trade. Kelly Kemock is your guide on this journey, an accomplished lawyer and trade compliance consultant who's passionate about helping young women navigate this complex field, equipping you with the tools and resources you'll need to pursue an exciting and meaningful career. You'll hear candid interviews with other successful female leaders and benefit from their experience. It's time to build the career of your dreams. Here's your host, Kelly Kemock. On today's podcast, we have Derry Axstein, who has many years of experience in the industry and has graced us with her time today. So thank you. If we could just start with kind of your background and your history and how you got um, these years of experience that you've, you've had. It definitely wasn't something that I thought about or ever chose to do. It was more of one of those, um, I was happened to be in the right place at the right time, I guess is the best way to say it. Uh, I start, it started out for me more as an internship and I, I'm not going to tell you what year that was because that was a really long time ago. <laughs> no, all joking aside, it was probably uh, early 90s. And where I was interning at, it at that time, they needed, um, I guess what you would call like a specialist within some sort of supply chain function, operations function, and not having any background in that really because I had never done that. I mean, I was, you know, very young, probably around 19, 20 years old. And so I got put into a spot that I had never even heard of. All of a sudden people, I started hearing the term like ITAR. And I was like, like, I don't, I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and, you know, it was, it was like the cool buzzword that everybody had used around the office there. Oh, we do ITAR. And, and, you know, I was like, okay, I, I, what does that mean? Right. And so having it explained to me in that long acronym, the international trade arms, et cetera, mm-hmm. regulations, I basically started asking, well, where can I get some education on this? And ironically, I think it's even applicable to today. It's not an, it's not a place that you can just go and study, right? It's, I have yet to find an institution where I can say, yeah, I've got a a global trade and compliance degree. You know, there's lots of, there's lots of places to get education for supply chain management, operations, logistics, even transportation. But I have yet to find a core place where there is just the core study of global trade. And so interestingly enough, I would say truly my, my background has been trying to find places where I could learn. And that's from mentors. It's from people within the quote unquote ITAR industry at that time who had been doing it for so many years who were willing to take their time and explain to me what the heck I was supposed to be learning <laughs> and doing. So uh, with that, I started learning the the rules and regulations, if you would. And thankfully, while learning that, I was also in a role supporting or, you know, reporting into supply chain management. So I was very much exposed to the logistics and transportation end of things, too, which has certainly helped in more ways than I could have imagined. And so from there, I promise I'm not going to give you all of my employment history because we could sit on this call for for hours. (laughs) But coming from technology and almost 30 years worth of it now, I can't believe I'm saying that out loud. I've seen lots of changes within technology. I've been through probably more mergers and acquisitions than anybody cares to admit to. And I've had a lot of first days, but 
I'd like to premise that by saying it's I'm hopefully it's not because I'm a bad employee, <laughs> but because I've worked for companies that have been bought and sold, they've spun off companies. And so with that, there was a time for probably a good five to six years when I had really stepped out of that ITAR role and not doing so much of global trade, but more supply chain management, which was fantastic. So I worked as a buyer for a number of years. I worked as a planner. Um, you know, and, and the, the great part about that was it's all come full circle, if you would. So being in this role now, which I just, I really enjoy, it's been good because of the past experience that I had. I even worked as a paralegal for a while and reporting into taxation and finance and, and so forth. Going through all those changes in technology, it, it has its ups and downs. Got to be very thick skinned to be able to handle it. Um, always keep up your network. Always keep up your resume for sure. But full circle, it's been be very beneficial in the aspect that if I'm working with a buyer, I can understand what they're saying. Uh, I can understand from a planning standpoint where you have to, you know, look at all the inventory and where it's going and so forth. But what actually ended up bringing me back into global trade was sadly, we know what happened after 9-11. Uh, a mentor that I had respected for a, a vast number of years, he had contacted me because all of a sudden the products that they were trying to get into the country, they couldn't get in. And so he called me kind of out of the blue and I hadn't spoken to him in some time. And he said, hey, you know, we're having some problems trying to get goods into the country. Now, this was probably about three weeks after 9-11. And, you know, at that time, if anybody remembers, everything kind of came to a screeching halt because technology wasn't being accepted in here, you know, um, sadly because of, again, what happened. You know, everything was being scrutinized, right, from an encryption standpoint, et cetera. So he, he asked me if I could possibly help and maybe look at some paperwork and see what customs was asking for. So I said, sure, I'd be happy to. And, and with that, he gave me an NDA, made sure I signed off on it. Right? Again, it had been a few years since I had been back in the business. But once the goods got cleared, I was very fortunate. He said, would you consider coming to work for me? And I said, yeah, it would be an honor. But again, I was looking for like a college program, something that had a center on global trade, and I couldn't find anything. So mm -hmm. what I ended up doing was I did a, a program. It was called the Global Logistics Specialist Program. I think it was about an 18-month, 20-month course. It was fantastic. And it was through Cal State Long Beach in California. And it's still in existence today. I, I highly recommend it for even folks that have been in the industry for a long time. They, their curriculum and their schooling and the program that they put out, it's really quality stuff. I've been very impressed with it over the years. I've been realizing a little bit more now that I'm in a consulting role, how much we need as trade professionals need to know so much about other aspects. Like we need to know supply chain and we need to know transportation. I mean, that's kind of what you're touching on is that you have gleaned all of this experience from all of your, your roles and now it, you use it every day in, in a trade compliance fashion. Uh, absolutely. But I, I think one of the things that, Folks need to remember, especially if you're if you're a novice to this industry, and even if you've got just a couple of years under your belt, you know, this is really a function that touches truly every aspect of the company, right? And so, you know, depending on where you're shipping to in the world, you're going to be dealing with the logistics team in your warehouse potentially, right? If you need to get an import or an export license, you know, the first people I'm going to go to is my engineering team 
right? Because they're the folks who develop the product. They're the ones who know all the IP. I would never come across and pretend like I am an engineer or a technology person, but certainly I need to go to those folks who understand it. So now I've, I, I, you know, I'm going to work with the shipping team because they're the ones going to, that is going to get the product out. I need to work with the engineering team because I need to understand what the functionality is of the product, potentially if it's going to need an import or an export license, or if we're going to, how are we going to classify it, et cetera. Uh, you know, you go to legal because, you know, you, you may need somebody to do a sign off on some sort of questionnaire that you're going to be filling out for potentially a foreign government. So now you've got legal. And then, of course, you know, you work with your finance teams and taxation, right? Internal audit. You know, the tax people may have to give you information on what the latest GST is or what the latest rules are, say, in China, for example. So it's, it's interesting to me because it really is one of these functions that at some point or another touch every facet of your company. Kelly, I have found at the end of the day, if you don't have that senior management support and that, that help to push the rules and regulations, it's very tough to change a climate. So I think it's vitally important to touch every single facet within the company. Mm-hmm. And, you know, talk to everybody. I mean, I have, I, I've jokingly told the story that there was one engineer who I really needed to get some information from. And candidly, he just wouldn't talk to me. He, he had his day-to-day work. So I actually called the, the gal that was his assistant. And I said, like, I, I need help from your boss. She goes, oh, the weight of this man's heart is literally through his stomach. So I asked what his favorite food was. And he loved homemade chocolate chip cookies. So I went and I don't tell anybody, but they were the, they were already the pre-made dough kind, but yeah. you know, they looked real, they, they looked homemade and I brought them in two days later and I went to his office and I said, can you help me? I took the foil off or whatever it was and said, I made cookies cause I understand this is, this is how I can get your help. And he goes, sit down. I admit it took a little bit of bribery, but you know, after that, there was a great camaraderie and admittedly so I still had to bring in chocolate chip cookies every couple months to get his help. But yeah. without him, I, you know, the company certainly couldn't get the product to where it needed to go. I didn't understand the functionality. He was the brilliant one. I was just, I was just putting my, I call it my dairy fairy dust on top of it and hoping the box got there. Okay. When you talk about logistics, you know, outside of, of course, like the embargo countries, which we're not supposed to ship to. You can ship anything all over the world, but if you don't have the rules and regulations in place, if you don't have that importer of record in place, you know, if you don't have that global trade pre-diligence, if you would, in place, mm-hmm. good luck. You touched on a couple of things that I wanted to talk about. One was, well, basically just clarifying, your career has been primarily focused on technology. That has been the industry that you've been focused on? Oh, absolutely. 100%. And when I say I worked in technology, that's a, that's a big umbrella. I mean, I've worked with telecom, semiconductor, manufacturing. Manufacturing has been probably my cornerstone of the last 30 years. Uh, I've been very blessed, though, to do some project work for different industries from, from folks that have, have approached me just because either, A, they couldn't afford to bring a full-time trade and compliance person in, or there was some overlay work that, you know, you already had a company that was potentially looking to do a, a merger or a purchase, right? And so they needed maybe another set of eyes to look at some documentation and so forth. So I, I have been blessed to be able to do some work in, in different industries on a much smaller degree, obviously, but I've worked in textile. I did some time in the wine industry, which I 
I really enjoyed that project. I, you know, I've done some, some work in a medical device, et cetera. The beauty of this role is when you learn the foundation, you can walk into an industry at least knowing what is required because every product needs an HTS code, right? Every product, I don't care if you're selling pencils with no erasers and pencils with erasers, right? They need to be classified. And so, you know, you, if you've got that experience on how to do classification, that's vital. And then also from the export standpoint, I mean, you also have to do your classification potentially depending on if you're going to be working in telecom or semiconductor. What would you consider under the technology umbrella? You said semiconductor. Um, what else? I don't know if we have all day. I mean, there's so many facets to technology, right? Yeah. Especially today. You know, you've got AI. You've got cybersecurity. You've got internet security. You've got lasers that, you know, depending on the pro- type of product that you're dealing with. I, I mean, it's it's so vast. Like, I, mm-hmm. I could literally sit here and bore people to death <laughs> with all the different facets of it. But, yeah. but that's what I think is so fascinating about the technology standpoint is that there are so many avenues to it. And to say that you can keep up with all of it, no. I mean, I used to, you know, before I would go to a BIS update, I would think, oh, yeah, I got this. Like, I, I, you know, I'm good. I feel good about what I'm bringing back to the company. And then I would go to one of those seminars for two to three days, and I'm like, oh, Lord, it's all changed again. Just when I think I got it. This is an overarching theme where everyone is just so excited about their role because there is so much to learn. I, I, I never liked the adage of you can't teach an old dog new tricks. But in this case... You could throw that cliche right out the window because you have to be able to move and be flexible and understand what's going on with the federal trade regulations, et cetera. I really believe that this role is purely about transparency and it's about sharing knowledge. And I get it. It's compliance. It's rules and regulations. But you better listen to what's going on around you. Right. You can't just walk in and, you know, pretend that you're the police <laughs> of, of every shipment that's going out or, you know, every license that's going to be applied to. Because let's face it, people don't react to that very well. That's why I've over the years, I've tried to really think of how can I explain my role, but not intimidate. Because you hear compliance, or I do, I don't want to speak in generalities, but I hear the word compliance or regulation, and all of a sudden I, I, my red flag goes up literally, and it's like, oh no, this person's going to come in and try and change everything. I never wanted my role to come across like that. And the gentleman I, I mentioned earlier that brought me really back into this industry, which I'm grateful for, he was the one who really taught me that. He was the general counsel of a very of a fairly large company who said, you know, I want, I've always wanted the methodologies in which I work to be open door. I mean, obviously there's things that you can and you can't share. I got it. But he goes, it's, it's always been about transparency with him. And he goes, if there's nothing else I can teach you, take that with you. And, and it has stuck with me like to no degree, because I, I think it's, you can be, you can still be approachable, right? And you can still be a good person and, and help <laughs> be in this role and do, you know, and, and do your rules and regulations. But I, there's a classy way of doing it too. And I don't believe in teaching by fear or speaking by fear. It, it doesn't help anybody. It, you know, th- that's why I jokingly always tell the story about the cookies because, you know, I, I don't know if this gentleman saw me as just more of an imposition, but it was like, I, I can be real, man. And, and again, don't tell. I didn't make them all from scratch. But it was more of 
like my peace offering. Like, you know, I just want to work with you because I can't work with you and your team if we don't have a standing bond and relationship. What is your like snippet? What do you tell people what your job is? I'm an insurance plan. I'm an insurance plan to help you get your goods from A to B. You're not supposed to drive a car in California without auto insurance. So why would you want to ship goods globally without having some sort of insurance plan to help those goods get there? At least somebody to help support you. And I always tell people, like, I'm in an advisory role. At the end of the day, the business decisions have to come from the business and those well above me that own that. But here's what I see. So if you want to give me a scenario and you want my thoughts, that's what I'm here for. And I think trade compliance is changing because especially now with the Trump administration tariff, they're getting um, a seat at the table. Yeah, the emphasis, I couldn't concur with you more. The emphasis is much more vast and I've seen it in years. I say this out loud. Yes, I said 30 years almost. But I would say, gosh, the past really five to seven years is, in my humble opinion, this position, this type of um, knowledge, this niche, if you want to call it that, it's very much been in the forefront, even more so than it has been ever. And it's interesting, too, because I've also seen from the buyer standpoint, right, that there's been more emphasis put on to the seller to understand what their product is. Like, for example, if you're shipping something into Hong Kong, do you have all of the backup paperwork from the Department of Commerce? Do you have your CCATs in place? You know, can you validate your your HTS for me, et cetera? I've seen much more of an emphasis coming through where if you are the seller, you it's a good thing to have everything in place because buyers are getting much more savvy to put that back on to the seller. Mm-hmm. You own the IP. You own that product. You're the one who should be telling me about it. I'm buying it from you, but you developed this. My question was going to be, how have you seen trade evolve? And it seems like we have a consensus about the fact that it's evolved from mostly policing to now advisory uh, and mm-hmm. even like making helping make business decisions in advance rather than saying, no, you can't ship that there. Like, no, they ask you in advance now because they know what value you bring. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to speak from the shipping standpoint, Okay. right? Every, everybody's had that shipment at the 11th hour. Okay. It's, it's year end and everybody's trying to get the holy revenue in and you potentially have a product that has some sort of encryption base in it. Let's say hypothetically, even though you may have your documentation in place here on the U S side and you don't need, let's say an export license to get it, depending on the ECCN going into a country like Hong Kong, well, you better have done some pre-diligence before you can arbitrarily just ship that product. But, you know, again, it's that it's that 11th hour shipment that comes in, you know, and, it, and the books are going to be closing at, at 5 o'clock local Friday time, and it's 4.02, you know, and, and you put somebody, and I'm saying the, the shipping department, logistics teams, in a position, and somebody from above is telling them, ship it, ship it, ship it, ship it. Well, depending on, you know, how you recognize your revenue, et cetera, right, depending on what's in your contracts, whatnot, that poor person may be put into a position to say, well, I've been told that I can't do anything unless we run this by global trade, right? Because this particular product has some sort of specialty item in it that it has to be vetted or, or it's got to get a license or whatnot. So it's always interesting to come up on those kinds of scenarios because sometimes it ends up being you're, you look like the bad person. And that's why I'm, I, I want to advocate 
that let's not put ourselves in that position. We don't want to, we don't want to run our business where we're shoving stuff out the door at the 11th hour, right? Let's get all of our ducks in a row. And this is where, again, going back to your comment that you touch every facet of the business. So I always tell people, and I, and I do give instruction part-time on global trade. I always tell people, you know, remember your transaction from an import or export standpoint didn't start when you just arbitrarily put that stuff in a box. It started when your, say your person in sales got that sales order, mm-hmm. right? That sales order turned into a purchase order. It may not be shipping for six months, but let's prep. If we know that it's going to have some sort of license or something connected to it, let's do our, let's do our pre-diligence, right? And this is where it's so vital to have global trade in the forefront with, you know, your people in sales, your people in planning, your supply chain management teams. There, there you go. There's your perfect example of how you're touching every facet of the business. Because sometimes, sadly, you know, you become your own advertising firm. I jokingly say I'm I'm a whopping four ten, but sometimes I get on my soapbox to be five foot, and I'm like waving my arms, you know, like a like I'm trying to land a plane. I'm like, hey, I'm over here. Let me help. I, I don't I don't want to intrude. I don't want to make this bad. But if we need to do something, let's do it now versus that eleventh hour. You, do you have an opinion about whether trade compliance should be a part of legal team or supply chain or, uh, you know, a different aspect of the company? Is there, do you have a suggestion on like how to structure trade compliance? You know what I have to go back to, it's the decision of the business. Because again, doing this for as long as I have been, I've reported into supply chain management. I've reported into international tax. I've reported into, which, you know, ultimately is under finance. Um, I've reported into legal. But interestingly enough, all of the companies that I had reported into, it made sense to me why I was at where I was because of the business climate and the structure of the company. I don't believe there's one answer. If you're a company of, say, 50 people, really, if you're a small company, right, you're wearing probably a hundred hats anyway. So, you know, you're, you're dealing with, it doesn't matter where you really put me. I think it's really up to the business itself to make that decision. If someone is starting their career, they're in an interview, how do they, how can they gauge whether that company has its proper priority on trade compliance? How can someone looking at prospective employment know whether they they're walking into a good a good climate or not like if you asked straight out are you like do you have any investigations under customs like is that something you can ask in an interview because I would want to know that I I don't know if I would approach it with um <laughs> so have you gotten in trouble I'm just curious yeah. my name might go on. Uh, I think it, I think you can be classy about it and ask questions like so how robust is your department how many people do you have in that department? Uh, has this department been around since the inception of the company? I, I think that there's classy ways that you can get your point across without being so blatant. Like, so how many times have you been audited? Because I know if, I, if I'm if i the interviewer and the interviewee is asking me questions like that, I'm thinking, I don't know if that's the person I want in my compliance position anyway, because I can only imagine the questions that they go around asking and, and you know, talking to people very sternly and so forth. That's the way I would personally approach it. Yeah. 
I was in that position where, where I, I took a role and then I walked in and I'm like, everything is messed up. This is the worst system. <laughs> They're doing everything wrong. And I left in two weeks because I was like, I cannot fix this. Mm-hmm. I was brand new. It was like my first role out of law school. If I had had some experience on how to structure it properly, maybe I could have stuck around and fixed it. But like brand new. Well, and I think that that's relevant to, and I don't care how long you've been doing global trade. I think that this is just relevant to any job. This is why you network heavily, right? This is why you get on to great sites like LinkedIn. You reach out and you find people within your community that perhaps can walk you through a process or that can, you can find somebody that can mentor you. I just had a fantastic call at the end of last week. A gal reached out to me and she's a novice to this industry. And she said, look, I saw your profile on LinkedIn and I, I'm at a loss. I don't know where to go. I don't, you know, I, I need education. And I ended up spending, gosh, we were on the phone for over an hour. And it was a fantastic conversation just from the aspect that she knew so much more than what she realized. I think it was just more of validation to, that she needed a backboard. And by pointing her into, you know, different thought processes and giving her some examples online of where to look, that can be true for any industry or for any, any interview that you go into. That, that's definitely the way I handle it. And if I go interview with a new company, I'll use my LinkedIn, you know, network heavily. And I have no problem sending a, a, a message and saying, hi, I, I, you know, I'm going in for this interview. Gosh, if you have any thoughts or whatnot. Anything you can give me would be fantastic. You always, I, I think you should always be that open. You know, everyone hears how networking is super important, but in an industry like ours, the fact that there's so many different aspects of it, building that network, that's who's going to answer all those questions for you because you can't mm-hmm. find it in a book. Absolutely. And, and with this, especially with this industry, you have to be a self-learner. You have to learn how to be a self-starter. I'm not saying you have to know everything under the moon. If you claim to know everything under the moon, then let me tell you, you don't know this business that well because it changes rapidly, right? But you have to be able to figure out how to get answers. Now, whether that's going into your LinkedIn network, there's obviously some great, fantastic organizations out there that you can tap into, you know, professional affiliations. Being that I don't live that far from one of the largest ports in the world, you know, there's always something going on for a very minimal cost. And and there's a there's been several times over the years where I've spent my own money just to attend. You have to be willing to be a self-starter mm-hmm. and a self-learner and a and a great listener. Absolutely. That was one of my questions I wanted to ask is, you know, have you hired people and if you have you know what do you look for and you said be a self-starter like always willing to learn all of that Um, any other things that you look for when you're hiring somebody I will tell you in my personal roles I really haven't had um, I have not ever really been in the role where I've had direct staff my role has mainly been where I have third-party relationships etc that help and do some of the off-site stuff and then I've had folks that have more like dotted lines to me So with that being said, have I sat in on interviews to help find somebody? Absolutely. Um, Have I given questions? Yes. But I don't want it to come across like I've had this huge, (laughs) you know, this huge staff that I've overseen. But to go back to your question, I want to, I always want to see a self-starter. 
I always want to see somebody, and as corny as this may sound, who's incredibly humble and incredibly grateful. I don't want somebody that comes in and says that they know it all. I want somebody that comes in and has a fantastic foundation, right? And we're going to help build that house of knowledge together. I would prefer, always prefer to have somebody that says, you know what, I really want to be a part of whatever that project is. But candidly, I don't know how to do that. I've heard of it. I, I've heard of that of those 15 acronyms you just threw in my face, but I don't have any idea what any of them mean. And if I can give you a little side story, fresh out of college, I mean, fresh out of college, <laughs> green behind the ears, I, this is probably one of my biggest, my biggest faults that I ever made professionally is I wanted a job so bad and to impress people so much that I said I could do things that I couldn't. And within six to nine months, it was pretty apparent that what I said I could do, I couldn't. I mean, that, that experience really humbled me because it was really embarrassing to say I didn't know what I was doing when the guy that I was reporting to said, well, you know, point blank in the interview, you told me you could do this. And I was like, oh, you know, I was young and dumb and needed a job really bad. Not, my, not one of my greatest moves professionally. <laughs> I admit it. We all have our faults at some point. But the thing that he said to me is he goes, you know, I would have had more respect for you. This, is, this was the day I left. Because I knew I had to give my notice. Because it was apparent I was not made for this job. He said, I would have had more respect for you if you had just told me that you couldn't do three or four things that were on this list of ten. He goes, I probably still would have hired you. But I would have mentored you better so that you knew how to do them when it came time to ask. In the same like vein of what you were talking about, you can't undersell yourself either. You can't oversell yourself but you can't undersell yourself. So do you have any advice on how someone fresh out of college trying to say, I, I have these skills and they apply, but I don't have them in practice? Well, so I, I think that there's a two-way answer to that. First of all, from somebody that's doing the hiring of somebody who is very new and very much a novice, at some point we all needed somebody to give us an opportunity. We all started somewhere. I, I just, I'm, my hope is, is that as these kids are coming out of college, fresh coming out of college, I'm hoping that somebody is telling them, you know, it's okay to not know. You don't have to come across pretending you know everything. Don't be something you're not. Be who you are, but be humble and grateful about it. But be strong about what you know. But there was a gal at one time when I interviewed for a job, it, you know, on paper, it sounded great. I got to the interview and clearly the interviewer wasn't looking for me and I wasn't looking for them. But I said, you know, I know somebody and I think this person would be great. It turned out it was, you know, match.com for, for <laughs> job hunting. Right. But that's what I'm talking about, about, about the humble part. It's okay. And, you know, it's interesting because that gal that interviewed me originally, she ended up calling me, I don't know, a couple of years later and said, you know, I didn't forget about you and I've got this project. Would you mind working on it with me? Absolutely. I started working for this company, fantastic company, and they sent me to one of their small satellite offices. So I come walking in and nobody would talk to me and I couldn't figure out, like, I know I showered that morning. Well, only to find out when I got back to the corporate office that everybody thought that I was there to assess for layoffs 
I had every you know rumor in the world like, oh, this lady with black hair, she came in and she was going through our files and she was looking all through the office. Well, really what I was doing was I was doing my own internal audit. I was looking at shipping documentation and just watching and observing what was coming in out the door. So again, just like the cookie story I told you, the second time I went to that office a month later, because nobody would even talk to me, I, I stopped and I got like three or four dozen donuts after I got off the plane. And I put them out and I like put a note on there and said, this is from the lady walking around. I'm not with HR. I'm not with finance. I report to legal, but I'm here just to make sure that the shipping is being done correctly. And it was after that, it was like, ah, you're the lady that brought the donuts. Food has been the greatest thing in the world for breaking barriers. It's all I have to say. Tree Compliance 101, bring donuts. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Always bring some form of food. I wanted to ask you about your teaching. You mentioned that you teach. So who do you teach with? Who are your students? Like, what, what is your topic? So there, there, there's some in our classes. You know, I try and do it as often as I can and when they need me. But, you know, it's such a kick to do it. I absolutely enjoy the day. And it's it can be a very long day. And let's face it, you know, eight hours of, of export compliance is not the sexiest subject to talk about. People come in like, oh, gosh like already yawning. And so you, you hope to do your best with a little entertainment, and, you know, with some comedy to like get them through the day. But I figure by the time they get to lunch, if they're still with me, those last couple hours of the day aren't going to be too bad, but it's fun. It, it's a lot of fun to share the knowledge. It's a lot of fun to hear all the different industries that people come from. The only other thing that I had written down was to ask you what advice you have for me as a mid-career professional wanting to mentor younger professionals. And I've had a couple phone calls, like you were saying you had, and they would ask me, you know, how to build their career, like how to, what job should they get? And I don't really know how to answer these questions. That's why I'm asking all of my guests because, you know, you have a lot more experience than I do. But what value do you think that I can bring to a mentor relationship as a mid-career professional? Oh, first of all, the fact that you're willing to talk to somebody that doesn't know where to go, that's a big deal because whoever you're talking to, I would bet at some point they're going to remember that, that somebody was willing to talk to them. You know what? And don't feel like you have to have all the knowledge to give to them at a hundred percent. I mean, I think it's, I think it's pure validation if they're willing to call you because whatever you're doing, you must be doing something right. So give yourself the kudos for that. And again, it goes back to if you don't know how to direct somebody into potentially a, an area, say, in textile, right, or a medical device, if you're not working in that field, how can you point to somebody and, and tell them where to go? But, you know, you can you can come across and say, look, I don't I don't have an answer, but I do have a network of people. And what I can do is I can tap into that network on your behalf and see if I can find somebody that you can talk to. Yeah. So I, I think I think the bottom line is be willing to listen and just be willing to give a helping hand. But I don't know all the answers. No way. But I, I think if a young person, not even a young person, let's just say somebody who's been working for 15 or 20 years, all of a sudden they came from a logistics background and they want to enhance that and they want to get in the global trade and they're tapping into the best resources that they can find and they tap into you as an individual. I, First of all, I take that as a huge honor, but you may not know. And so I guess my advice back to you, back to your original question was, 
listen to what they have to say. If you can give them some great advice, great. I always say speak in generalities. I don't like to pinpoint to one specific, like, oh, yeah, you know, you sound like you would be great on the import side. Well, I don't know, because I may not even know that person. So I always say speak in generalities. Yeah. And if there's something, what industry are you looking at? Are you looking at medical device? Are you looking at pharmaceutical? Where are you looking? Okay, I don't know. I've never dealt in maybe that industry, but perhaps I can find somebody in my network that has or get you in contact with somebody who's been doing this for a long time who might know somebody. And and that goes back to how important your network is, right? Oh, absolutely. Oh, and I know this is a cliche, but never burn bridges. I always jokingly say I've had more first days than most people will in a lifetime. And, you know, being, being in the industry that we are, you run into the same people for many, many years over. And you don't want somebody to go, oh, yeah, I remember her. She's the one who picked up her box and her purse and said, I'm done. I'm out of here. You want to be more so the person was, you know, I remember interviewing her and it didn't work out with us. But she was great to help me find somebody or refer or refer somebody to me. Was there any other topics or kind of like advice that you have or anything you want to review or touch on? Uh, You know what? No, I think what we've talked about is, is relevant regardless if it's global trade or not. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's about simplicity and learning your craft. And if it's not for you, then find something that is. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. It was a kick. I really enjoyed it.